Live from Chatterbox Sports Studios, it's Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman. Well, good morning, good morning, and a pleasant good Thursday morning to you and yours. Hope your day is off to a great start. Rainy, rainy morning here in Hamilton, Ohio. We welcome you to Off the Bench, presented by our good friends at United Dairy Farmers. I'm Tom Brenneman. We come your way 10 a.m. to noon Eastern, Monday through Friday. You can find us a number of different ways. We'll start with YouTube slash Chatterbox Sports. We always ask if you're able Please subscribe to the program. You can also find us streaming on Facebook. That's our Chatterbox Sports page. And please flip on the notification switch. You can find us in podcast form. Search Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman and you're dialed in. We begin college basketball. Sean Miller's team came in wounded. Two of their six rotational players were unable to go last night due to injuries. And you knew it would be a tough one in Milwaukee last night with first place on the line in the Big East. A converted putback with 1.6 seconds left was the difference in Marquette's 69-68 win. The Golden Eagles were picked to finish ninth in the league's preseason poll, yet now stand a game and a half ahead of the Muskies, Creighton, and Providence. Marquette had been a terrible rebounding team this year, one of the worst in the country but beat the Muskies up on the board first time, and we'll talk to Paul about this in a minute, where perhaps they really miss Zach Fremantle. They were out-remounted 36-32, outscored 15-7 in second-chance points, including the game winner. Around the bend, Xavier has DePaul and Villanova at home. It starts Saturday at 4 o'clock. The UC Bearcats, my oh my. They blow a 16-point lead late in the second half and fall to East Carolina. UC was outscored in the second half of the game, 46-34, slipping to 17-10 on the year. Elsewhere, number one is taken down in Knoxville. 10th-ranked Tennessee takes down Alabama, 68-59. The Crimson Tide's loss was the eighth this season by a number one team. That's the most in any single year since 1993-94. And I tell you, a team we better start keeping an eye on. And we were talking about this off the air yesterday. Northwestern. They beat Indiana last night 64-62, moving to 19-7 on the year. Virginia, Iowa State, and San Diego State were all winners in the top 25. A Texas district attorney dropped a domestic violence charge against former Texas head coach Chris Beard yesterday, in part because of the alleged victim, his fiancée, wishes not to prosecute. What's interesting is that the DA in Austin is one of the toughest in the country when it comes to domestic violence cases, but he could not prove this one. Baseball News, Commissioner Rob Manfred said a plan is in place for all teams to televise their games if Bally Sports goes bankrupt, and that certainly appears to be the case. Manfred would not say specifically how it would work or where you could find the, the games on a local level. That is a huge story. Uh, yesterday, uh, Bally Sports missing their first interest payment uh, somewhere in the neighborhood, I think I read, of, of $141 million, something to that extent. 
So coming up on the show today, we got lots to talk about. We have Jay Morrison from The Athletic. Uh, he wrote a two-part series that began today about the Bengals' offseason. And he zeroed in specifically on the draft and areas of need for the Bengals. They don't have a tight end under contract. All three of those guys are free agents in some form or fashion. The offensive line, is Lyle Collins coming back? Or do they dump him and take a salary cap hit? What about Jonah Williams? You know he's coming back, but it's the fifth year for him. And, you know, do they want to keep him? They want to trade him? Do they see enough from Jackson Carmen to play him at left tackle? Do they go out and try to get somebody else? What do they do about it in the draft? He lists a number of players that are potential draft picks for the Bengals, tight end as well, and wide receiver, which was a very interesting part of the story where he got into guys that might be around, including Jackson Smith and Jigma from Ohio State, who basically missed the entire year. He was thought to be the best wide receiver in the country coming into the season this year. So we'll talk with him. We'll also visit with Bob Nightingale from Cincinnati.com. He's a beat writer for the Reds. And we'll talk about some of the spring training storylines uh, to keep an eye on this year as uh, the pitchers and catchers have their first workout yesterday. Position players will check in on Monday, start workouts on Tuesday. And then, of course, the best 30 minutes in television twice a week, our buddy The Tracer, coming up at 11.30. All right, we don't have uh, Jay until 10.30. Paul, we start with you. It was our lead story here today. Um, you know, look, th th there's ways to look at it. Glass half full, glass half empty. I would think, you correct me if I'm wrong, I would think you have to look at this as a glass half full kind of thing when you consider their top six guys, and you pointed it out yesterday, two of them were not in uniform last night. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Marquette, they've played 27 games this year, which means they've played 54 halves of basketball. And the first half was their second worst half of the season. So if you're Xavier, who has been pretty horrific defensively, they played a really, really good game defensively last night. And I think that that's where the issue comes in if you're Xavier, where when you hear the news that you're going to be down two of your top six guys, two of the guys that you rely on to win a game like this, and then you don't have them, your initial reaction is, uh-oh, are they going to lose this game by 15, 20 points? Well, they had every chance to win this game and quite honestly should have won this game. They were in control pretty much the entire way. They were up by 13. Yeah, Marquette took a, a slim lead here and there. I think the most they were ever up was three or four. They ne Marquette was never in control of this game. And the frustrating part for Xavier fans is that it was the exact same way that it ended on Friday night against Butler where you give up a, a full court drive to the hoop and it ends in a, a game-winning – last night it was a tip-in, Friday it was a layup, but semantics. It still was a shot at the rim, a good look at the rim. Um, and Well, actually, you know what? I, I should say it wasn't a great look on the initial look, but Xavier didn't clear everybody out, got the tip-in, finished it off. It was a rough night you know, all around the area last night. Louisville had a chance to beat seventh-ranked Virginia in a huge upset. They lost that one. UC was up 16 with 10.06 left in the game. ECU goes on a 29-9 run to end the game, lose that game. I mean, it was – Kentucky got a, a good win. But other yep. than that, it was a uh, – yeah, the, the Xavier loss is tough because that, that basically knocks them out of the running for the Big East title. I'm not sure – why, 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 why – help me here. Why would that knock them out? They've split with Marquette. 
They still have another game with Providence. They it, split with Creighton, right? Yeah. It, and they're only, you know, one, in the loss column, they're only one game back, and they still have, what, one, two, three, four, five to play? Five four to, to play. play. Five Mar to play. Marquette has four to play. The difference is that Xavier still has to play Villanova, and they still have to go to Seton Hall and to Providence, whereas Marquette only has four games left. They do play Creighton next week. That'll basically be for the Big East title. But then Marquette's last three games are home against DePaul at Butler, home against St. John's. So Marquette has a very, very favorable schedule down the stretch. Uh, Creighton has a pretty favorable schedule too. Creighton only has, uh, they have five games left too, but they have St. John's, they have Georgetown, they have DePaul. They have a much easier, both teams have a much easier schedule. This very much doesn't knock them out like mathematically. They're still right in it. Xavier, if they win against DePaul, they're just one game back right. and, and anything can happen. But just looking at the schedule and the way you, you expect things to how, play How do play they out. determine, help me here, because it, it, it's conceivable, sure. conceivable that you could have, what, a three-way tie at the yeah. minimum for first place. How do they determine, the, what, what's a tie break the on that deal? It, it, if it's just two ways, it would be the sure, record, the head-to-head -head sure. record. Okay, but but, then, but in that case, if it's Marquette, they've split. Yeah. Right. If it's if it's Creighton. Providence, they could sweep or split. Yeah. Right. And if it's uh, Creighton, Creighton they split. split. So yeah. what happens? So it would basically be a a mini group with each other. So their records against their their completed records against each other, and then it would be if all those records are the same. It would be their record against the next best team, which I think would be well, it'd be the fourth best team. So whoever came in fourth, they, it's it's kind of wild how it's played out. It's never happened since realignment. Nobody has shared a title since realignment. The only teams that have won a title besides Xavier or besides Villanova is Xavier in 2018 and Providence last year. So it's kind of uncharted territory the way this is all going down right now. But I do think Creighton and Marquette. Creighton would be my pick. Uh, just because I think the Creighton and Marquette game next Tuesday night is going to basically be for the Big East title. That's a game out in Omaha. I think Creighton will win that game. Uh, so they're my pick to win the conference right now. I really don't think that this is the worst thing in the world for right. Xavier because if you're not going to win the conference, what you have to hope is that they get into that Thursday night at Madison Square Garden because then probably Friday night, assuming they both win on Thursday, get a rematch with Marquette. And I would very much, if you're a Xavier fan, you would very much take a rematch over Marquette in, uh, against Marquette over playing UConn well, or uh, against Creighton. Yeah, I mean, look, I watched that game last night, and, uh, and and I've not watched a ton of college basketball. Your point about Xavier's defense, all I've read is how bad it is, uh, and the numbers back that up. Uh, but but I got to tell you, I mean, in that first half, they were getting after people on defense. I mean, now, you know, their depth certainly was limited. Uh, because of the guys being out, I thought they played really hard on defense in the first half. Um, you know, Marquette got it going, and they're a big, high-scoring offensive team, so they're going to score their points. Uh, but it was below their seasonal average when all was said and done. Um, but, you know, just from what I watched last night and knowing enough about what I've seen from Fremantle, there is no doubt in my mind that Xavier's a better team than Marquette. Yeah. There's no doubt in my mind. Yeah. I would agree. I, I've, I would fully agree with that. And to your point, the numbers back it up defensively. I mean, they moved up 11 spots defensively last night in the country. Now, that's not hard to do when you're 101st, but they moved from 101st to 90th in the country last night defensively. And, and just to at least show that they were serviceable, especially against a team like Marquette that came into the game third in, in, in uh, you know, th they had the third best offense in the country. So to do that down two guys – is it was a big step, and it was a shame that they couldn't pull it off. But um, so it goes. 
Brandon Sejo said that game looked like a GCL South game. <laughs> the first half, it was a rock fight. When Moeller beat LaSalle, 20, or LaSalle beat Moeller 28-26 to 26 in a game last week. They couldn't throw it in the ocean last night. No. Sitting in a boat. No. Um, okay, UC. Now look, um, I have been a big Wes Miller proponent. I think that this guy is going to get this thing straightened out. But I got to tell you, um, there have been a couple of games here recently, and, I, and I'm not going to make a big deal of the Houston game because Houston's a great team. And they were at home, and UC played their ass off in that game. And, and, and look, you know, they were right there till the end, and they got beat. But East Carolina, I mean, you got a 16-point lead against East Carolina. Uh, Casey, you came in here all wound up, and you're not even a UC gat, as we like to say. No, uh, just the we, me and Trace cooked up a parlay the other night. Oh, and, so it all comes and, back. Uh, to, I, I mean, are you gambling. kidding me? I didn't. It know always this. comes back to gambling. Yeah. So and, go and ahead. Now we were, know at least where you're coming from. I mean, they were up 16. That's all I gotta say. I I don't, I didn't even care to watch the rest of the game because it's like, oh, this is this is a wrap because of how they played against them the last time. I mean, they beat them pretty significantly by 28. By by 28. I'm like, oh, they're up by 16. Okay. I'll move on to the, the NBA. I had other things to watch. Uh, yeah, and your LeBron thing went to the tank. Yeah, it did. I but was, I was again, I, was, I don't watch any of the NBA. My son's totally dialed into it. You know, it's very late. I'm trying to get him to go to bed. He's got school. And what's he got on the TV? He's got on a Lakers game. And I'm like, oh, okay. I remember what Casey said to me today. What do you call it? It's uh, a P- PRA. 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 Points. For those of you that don't know, many of you do, but I just learned it yesterday teaching Tom here, thanks to Casey and Paul. There is a bet you can make. I assume this is on every player in the league every night, right? Not every, not every player. The big stars. The big ones. The, the big, big stars. Ones. So like the, the Lucas and the Irvings and the LeBrons and, and, and right, Giannis, those guys. Yeah. Every night. So it's, it's a total combined number of points, rebounds, assists. This was LeBron's first game back with new teammates. D'Angelo Russell is back. You know, he's been a little banged up, LeBron has. So it was his first game back since he broke the all-time scoring record. And you bet him to have a higher number than, I believe it was 40? Well, you could get the going, you could get the going rate at 40. I suggested 45 because I, I just... For some reason in my mind, it just kind of slipped past me that this would be his first game back, that he was coming off injury. D'Angelo Russell was going to be there. Just all those different factors. I wasn't quite ready to, to – to, I should have done more research before handing that that prop out. But, again, he was – what? He got 33? I, I, I never saw Something the close. final number, but there was a point where I looked and he had like seven points, and I knew you were in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he ended up with 33 or something like that. So it still wasn't even close. That's not that's not close at all, at least in my book. That's so both close. of you guys, for the first time, and something we're going to do regularly here near the end of the show, is we're going to get our locks of the night from Mr. Fritchner and Mr. McAllister. And apparently, we have started the year at 0-2. Yeah. Oof. Yep. Right? Oh, yeah. I mean, Paul, oh, yeah. you went with uh, the Crimson Tide I of did. Alabama. Yeah, I wish I could have watched more of that game. It was at the same time as Xavier. Uh, I kind of had it on in the background, but I was streaming it, and the stream kept dying. It looked like a pretty good game. 
but yeah, Tennessee, that's a great win. Great win for Tennessee. For all the people that were kind of starting to, are we in, are we out on Tennessee? They'd lost three of four. Um, so that's a, that's a win that Tennessee really needed. Uh, kind of gives you a little bit of concern over Alabama only because that that was a different style of game that we hadn't seen Alabama really win this year too much. Usually they just run the score up and, and try and get you in a high-scoring game. But Well, they turned it over 19 times. They you turn did. it over 19 times, you're not going to beat a good team. You can beat a crappy team, turn it over 19 times, you're not going to beat a good team. Yep. Um, okay, we were talking earlier about the, uh, the two-part piece. Uh, in The Athletic this morning, theathletic.com. And I talk about uh, The Athletic all the time on this show. I am a paid subscriber to The Athletic. Uh, and it, you're not going to find better coverage of the Cincinnati Bengals than you get from Jay Morrison and Paul Diener Jr. And Jay Morrison is kind enough to join us, uh, a proud alum of The Ohio University. He's got The Athletic uh, pullover on there. He's also from right here in Hamilton, Ohio. So we feel like we, we are kindred spirits with Mr. Jay Morris. Jay, how are you doing this morning? I'm great, Tom. How are you? I'm doing all right. Hey, you know, I was talking about your piece before you came on, uh, the one that you wrote that's posted today. Um, I, I want to start with this simple question. Um, can the Bengals, because I have people ask me this frequently, and I don't know the answer. Can the Bengals keep Joe Burrow, T. Higgins, Jamar Chase, and I'm talking about long-term now. Can they keep all three of those guys and still have a good team? Uh, yeah, I think they can uh, for the immediate future, for sure. It, once you get maybe, I don't know, 2025, 2026, 2027, then it gets dicey because the the, the whole thing, the misconception with Joe Burrow going to be signing this um, this huge extension this offseason is that the rookie contract window is shut and that's not the case the way they structure these I mean, he's due to make 11.9 million this year he signs for say 240 250 million whatever it is it, it, it's probably only going to go up to about 15 million this year maybe 19 20 million in 2024 and then you see the huge hit up in the 30 40 million dollars that following year that's that's an assumption but that's the way most of these contracts are structured that's what the bills are going to be dealing with this year with Josh Allen, he's coming on to the third year of that huge deal, and they're going to have to make some tough decisions. So with with T eligible for an extension this year, that's another misconception out there. He's not a free agent. He's mm -hmm. still under a contract, but he came in that same draft class with Joe. So they're both going into their fourth year. He's eligible for an extension this year. Um, Jamar Chase still has two years on his rookie deal. He'll be eligible for an extension next year. Um, they... It depends on T, basically, this this whole thing. I think they could do it. They could structure it that way. This team has been so good at uh, – nobody hits a bats a 1,000 in the draft, but they've been really good about the, the, the way they've drafted lately. And I know some people are going to point to certain picks, Jackson Carmen, some other ones that have not panned out. But overall, they've done a really good job in the draft, done a really good job in free agency of not just going out and paying the highest – one or two guys on the board, but getting five or six of those middle guys and then really mining the gems, the, the Eli Apples and, and the B.J. Hills, which they, they traded for. But they, they find these guys that kind of can come in with a chip on their shoulder that they like and they develop into something better than what they're actually paying them. Um, my, I'm sorry, I'm being long with this answer, but my question with, with T and with Jamar, uh, 
can does he he said he sees himself as a number one receiver well you're not going to get paid as a number one receiver if you're going to stick around with jamar chase your entire career you're not going to get targeted like a number one receiver if you're going to be playing with jamar chase your whole career or say through a second contract so that's the decision t higgins has to make is is he willing to take a little less everybody's talking about joe joe burrow maybe taking a little less to keep these guys around is t higgins willing to sign for a little bit less than what a number one receiver would would make we, we see this all the time we saw it with tyreek hill last year mm-hmm. chiefs couldn't afford to keep the best the highest paid wide receiver the highest paid quarterback they had to let him go Packers had to let Devontae Adams go. It's, they are hard decisions to make. Um, the, the Bengals are, have been so financially responsible. They've put them in themselves in a position where they can do this if they want, but you're going to have to hit on a lot of things around them to stay good and keep those guys in place. Explain to me, Jay, uh, because I, I, I just don't understand this. Maybe I should. Not the brightest bulb in the room. Um what is the big deal about a guy being franchised? It, it, it almost seems like there's some sort of black cloud that hangs over a player if, if they're, you know, under the franchise tag. I mean, in T. Higgins' case is a perfect example, and he's the one I'm talking about specifically. Uh, you point out he's not a free agent at the end of the year. They could tag him. Now, he would be disappointed he didn't get a long-term deal, but he would also make an enormous amount of money. He'd be paid like a number one guy if he got a franchise tag. What's the big deal about being franchised? It's it's delaying that huge payday. And I know, yes, I mean, you know, Jesse Bates this year, what, $12.9 million on the franchise tag. But these guys work so hard, and they know that their window is so small in the NFL that, that a, lot, a lot of people don't stick around that long in the league and so you finally hit free agency and you're looking to go out and test your worth on the open market and, and sign a life-changing deal a multi-year multi-million dollar deal and the team puts a franchise tag on you and takes that opportunity away from you you don't get to see what other people value you as at least for another year um you you don't get that long term it's a one-year deal a lot of play i mean First of all, the players, this is in the CBA. So the players agreed to this. They don't like it, but their leadership agreed to it. But that's the big part of it. And, and you know, A.J. Green was not happy at all when the Bengals franchise tagged him a few years ago. But like he said, my wife would kill me if I turned down $18 million. Yeah. They're, yeah. They're, they're not going to say Same with Jesse Bates this year. He threatened to sit out. He was never going to sit out. You can't turn down $12.9 million guaranteed dollars. So, um the, the number just keeps going up. Uh, I think it's right around 20 for a wide receiver this year. It's probably going to be north of 20 next year. C- could the Bengals do that? Absolutely. I mean, you you guarantee T. Higgins to stay around for another year feasibly. I mean, he could sit out. He could hold out. Um, it caused a lot of ripples. It, but that's what it is. The players just they, – they see it as – I don't know if it's a sign of disrespect, but they just see – it as a way of the, the team having a control over them just when they thought they were going to break free of that control and see what they're worth on the open market. All right. We know uh, whether it's, you know, style of play, whether it's contract negotiations, it's a copycat league. Should be a copycat mm-hmm. league. If somebody out there is doing something well, why wouldn't you want to give it a go, right? So mm-hmm. when, when I sat and watched the Super Bowl, to me, the thing that stood out was each team's offensive line. Chris Jones was a non-factor in that game. Invisible. After, after yep. just, just completely blowing up uh, the Bengals in the AFC Championship game. 
Obviously, this you know 70 sack defense of Philadelphia could not get near uh, Patrick Mahomes. He wasn't sacked one time in the game. Uh, you, you mentioned Tyreek Hill. He leaves, but the Chiefs keep their quarterback. They keep their tight end. They bring in some other guys to kind of piecemeal the thing together on offense, but they throw a ton of money in the offensive line. I preface all of that because in your piece today, where you, you, you specifically looked at the draft, so you brought up the three positions, correct me if I'm wrong, I just read it a little while ago, tight end, offensive line, wide receiver. Let's start with the idea when you look at the Bengals and you know the issues they have on the offensive line, even with overhauling the whole thing last year, um, why would they choose anything else but an offensive lineman for this draft? Or are they just going, is it possible they just go all in on offense? I don't know about all in on offense because they actually, they only, Hayden Hurst is the only offensive starter that's not due back, who's hit free agency. On the defensive side, you've got Jesse Bates, Von Bell, Jermaine Pratt. You've got bigger holes to address on the defensive side. So I don't see them going all offense by any means. But you're right. I think offensive tackle is the most likely direction to go. The reason they wouldn't do that in the first round is if a bunch of them fly off. And then you're left with a guy that's got a second round grade that you're they're not going to reach. And they've always been a, a best player available type of mindset. And a lot of teams say that, that sometimes when it comes down to it, they, they don't follow that because sometimes you have to draft for need. And we'll see what happens. They're not going to make a decision. I wouldn't think on Leo Collins before the draft. Um, but I, I do think that he's a, a good candidate to be a cap cut. He's coming into year two of that three year deal he signed last year. But um he, he tore his ACL on Christmas Eve. Yeah. I mean, you don't know if he's going to be ready. And number two, he, he I don't know, he, he was an upgrade, but was he really what they expected at that position? Um, it's hard. It's hard to find offensive linemen in this league. So it would, it would be a tough cut to let go of him. You would have to really feel good about what Jackson Carmen showed you in the, in the postseason, And you would have to feel really good about what you did in the draft. But um, it, it's not just, Collins it's it's Jonah Williams too yeah. I mean he's he's going into the his his fifth year so he's on the fifth year option this he's going to make guaranteed money this year but he'll be a free agent next year is when they drafted him he said hey he's our they said he's our left tackle for the next 10 years I that's I don't that's not set in stone now. I'm, I'm not sure he's here beyond this year. I'm not sure even if he is here beyond this year, if he's the left tackle. Maybe they move him to the right side. They've, they've been adamant that, no, he's a left tackle. But if they go get some stud and he outplays him in, in training camp or in OTAs, then maybe that is a possibility. But um, you also, you saw the injuries. This team went 15 games in a row with the same yeah. exact offensive line. And then they started drop, drop, dropping. Uh, the one that survived it was Ted Karras, the center, they don't really have a good backup option at center. They've got Trey Hill, who they took late a few years ago, but he the one chance he got to play as a rookie a couple years ago didn't look good. So I don't think you go and back up. You draft a backup interior guy, but that's something I think they will address in middle of this round. But um, I, I do. I think it's tackle in the first round unless they start flying off the board or unless one of those elite guys that they've got a high grade on for some reason slips. Um, then I could see them pivoting, going in a different direction. You know, as you pointed out in the article, when, when you look at the, the highly ranked tackles and the kid out of Northwestern is by far the highest ranked guy, uh, you know, just up the road in Columbus, you've got two extremely intriguing guys. Paris Johnson, 
Uh, as a local kid, went to Princeton, uh, but yep. many feel he'll be long off the board, starting left tackle at Ohio State last couple of years after starting his, his career as a guard. Uh, but he is, you know, almost a prototype-looking tackle. Um, great athlete, all those kinds of things. Maybe even more intriguing, though, and it's where you getting back to what you said a moment ago about, you know, maybe a guy's grading in the second round, but it seems like Dewan Jones is a guy that's really starting now for whatever reason or multiple reasons to really moving up higher and higher. I mean, he is a monster at 6'8", 350, whatever it might be. Um, are those the kind of guys that, that maybe they're looking at? Yeah, I would think so. I mean, anybody that, that can play tackle there that is available at 28, I think they would look at. Um, but to your point, you know, if, if that is the case where they go a different direct, I'd be surprised, put it this way, that if they don't have a tackle by the end of the second round. Okay. Um, and so in Dewan Jones, maybe he's he's that tweener. Maybe he's a reach at 28, but maybe there's no chance you get him at the end of the second round. So that's where that, that those tough decisions come in. Um, they do like their Ohio State Buckeyes. Uh, there's no question about that. Um, I'll, I'll be the first to, I'm not a film grinder. I, that One of the great things, and there's a lot of great things about working at The Athletic, but one of the greatest is we have people that do that. And, and um, I, I trust their opinions. And that's why I, that the piece today, and then I'm working on the defensive piece that'll either come out tomorrow or Monday. Um, I, lean heavily on Dane Brugler, who does a fantastic job. And that's all he does all year long is is watch film. He doesn't cover a team during the season like Paul and I do. So I, I lean on those guys and their opinions. And um, you're right, he's he, Dewan Jones is one of those guys that just kind of just keeps rising and rising. And I can't remember off the top of my head where Dane had him in his top 100. Mm -hmm. uh, I want to say it was in the 50 range. Um, but yeah, that that's a guy that, that you know, if – if he's there in the second round, absolutely pull the trigger. And he's a guy that if if you like him enough, they will they will get a guy like that in the first round. If if he's sitting there, and a lot of those other big names have gone off the board. Um, is there any scenario that you see? Just staying with the offensive line for a minute. Is there any scenario where you see the Bengals bringing in an Orlando Brown kind of player? In free agency? Yeah. No. I I I don't think you're you're not gonna see this free agent period look like the last two years. I mean that all this money going to Joe Burrow and possibly T. Higgins and an earmark down the road for Jamar Chase. I just I don't I don't see any way they could make that happen. Um that that's the that's the big thing with the Burrow deal is they, they need to get that done before free agents. They don't have to, but it would it would behoove them to do that because that's the first domino. Then you can make all the other decisions once you know what you've got in terms of a structure with Joe with Joe Burrow's contract. But um, the, even the the Paul had a piece where the, the scouts talked about it. It is not going to look like this is going to be a free agency period where you are looking for bargains in the third wave. Um, they're they're not going to be signing guys on the first day of free agency. Obviously, an Orlando Brown type of guy would be a a huge yeah. benefit and a big help for this offensive line. But they Financially, I that I don't see them making work. Okay, you jump to the defensive side of the ball. We know about Bates. We know about Von Bell. We know about Jermaine Pratt. Those three guys particularly. Eli Apple is also a free agent. Um, yeah. when, when I watch the Bengals play, you said you're not a big you know, film grinder, nor am I. But for me, 
and, and maybe 99 out of 100 will say, Tom, you're out of your mind. When I watch Jermaine Pratt play and I watch Logan Wilson play, why am I dumbfounded by the idea of, you know, most of the rumbling out there that they have to give Wilson a long-term deal uh, and not Pratt a long-term deal? I, I just don't see in the NFL in this day and age outside of, a you know, most recently, say, a Luke Keekley or maybe a linebacker who's a big pass rusher, somebody like that who's piling up a bunch of sacks. I just don't see the evolution of the league from an offensive standpoint of signing a linebacker to a long-term deal. Is that crazy thinking? Um, it, 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 I mean, linebackers have gone up the way of running backs where they are not near as important as they used to be. I think the whole thing with the Pratt and the Wilson thing, it's, it's asset allocation where right now you have two really good guys. Um, you, we, we talked about all these hard decisions they have to make. Jermaine Pratt. They love everything about him. Uh, what he's been, I, I, he, I feel like he's improved every year that he's been here, playing the best football of his life uh, at the end of last year. But you've got two really good guys there, and you've got hard decisions to make elsewhere. And I, I, I think they're just they're content to to let Jermaine go test the open market. Maybe he doesn't get what he thought he would get out there, and somehow returns. I don't see that being a reality, but it's, it's a possibility. But then you just kind of kick the can down the road and you, you, you know, maybe draft another guy this year. You see how Akeem Davis Gaither develops. Um, he was coming on and playing pretty well in that, in that reserve role last year. And, and it's just the, the, the constant churn, you know, you, you can't keep everybody. And I, I, I think that the, the talk is that, yes, you need to give Logan Wilson a, a long-term deal, but I, he's the guy where I think, you're going to see them and him want to play a prove-it year this year on his fourth year. And I, I don't think you're going to see them offer him a long-term extension this year. Wait and see how the fourth year goes. And then he could possibly be a guy that they think about franchising tag. But even then, that's that would be tough to do because when you talk about the franchise tag, for I talked about wide receiver, how, how high that number is. Linebacker is actually a higher number than wide receiver because that includes those edge rushers like TJ yeah. Watt, the guys that are really defensive ends that are making tons of money. And that's what the franchise tag is based on is the average of the top five salaries. So um, it, it, I, it's just a, like I said, a kick the can down the road kind of thing. See how Logan Wilson plays this year. See how Akeem Davis-Gaither evolves. See if you draft a, a rookie who really comes in and plays well, and they're just kind of delaying that decision. I don't, I don't necessarily they think that Logan Wilson's up here and and Jermaine Pratt's down here. It's just a matter of this is where we're at right now. We have other decisions to make. It's a hard, it's a hard thing to do to part with Jermaine Pratt because they love him, but it's a it's a decision a, a game where you have to make hard decisions. Um, uh, Jesse Bates is a younger man. Uh, he mm -hmm. makes a lot more money than Von Bell. Von Bell's an incredible leader. There's no debate about that. Um, somebody from The Athletic, and I'm drawing a blank on who wrote the piece, thought it wasn't, uh, you know, and he, he's really an outlier in this whole debate, suggesting for a second that Jesse Bates has a chance to come back to the Bengals. Uh, Bates and Bell, what would you put their percentages on being back in a Bengals uniform next year? Um, probably five percent for Bates, and maybe that's being generous. And then Von Bell, uh, 75 80 percent. Okay, um, people forget he's been around for a long time. He's on, he's at the end of his second contract, he's still only 28. You know, the, the Bengals aren't going to pay guys that are over 30 anymore. They they learned their less, they got burned on Carlos Dunlap and Geno Atkins with that. So, 
what Von Bell means, what his age, and just the fact that I don't think he's going to command a ton of money. And then you throw in the fact, too, that if you let Von Bell go, it's Dax Hill and Brandon Wilson are your safeties. You cannot go into the season, and maybe they draft a couple. Well, they would draft a couple if that were the case. You can't go into the, the season with that. He, he's too important of a piece, and I just – I think there's nothing that's a lock, but I just it feels almost like it's a done deal. Von Bell loves it here. The team loves him. Voted him a captain his first year here. Voted him a captain. Um, he's really played well. Um, that that first year here, he was a, he was a bit of a liability in coverage against tight ends. He's gotten better at that. I just think he means way too much to this franchise for them to let him get away. Okay, last thing I want to ask you about. You talked about. You know, we've talked a little bit here. Uh, we haven't gotten into the wide receiver conversation much um, outside of Chase and Higgins and, and, and the money they're going to be getting, whether it's this year, the next year, the next year, et cetera. Um, in your piece today in theathletic.com, um, you know, you, you addressed the tight end situation where they don't have a tight end under contract looking ahead to next year. If they get to the 28th pick in the draft and we know everything we know about the Bengals, Okay, where they are, and, and we don't know the borough contract, but what we know about the team, strengths, weaknesses, needs, et cetera. If they got to the 28th pick and you had um, Michael Mayer, tight end out of Notre Dame, or the tight end out of Georgia, uh, you know, one of the, the, a guy like that, but Mayer specifically, people are familiar mm -hmm. with him, a local kid, Notre Dame, big star, et cetera, et cetera. Jackson Smith and Jigba who was the best receiver in college football on paper going into the year this year, basically missed the whole year. But many people feel like this guy is going to be a major star if healthy. But he wasn't all year. Quentin Johnson out of TCU, phenomenally talented yeah. player, right? So if you have the choice of, and I'm getting long-winded here, forgive me. If, 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 if you were sitting there and you had to make a prediction, the Bengals at 28 have the option of, Mayor, um, I'm not going to say Paris Johnson because I think he's going to be gone. But let's say yeah. Dewan Jones and then Jackson Smith and Jigba or Johnson. What do you think they do? Whew. I mean, Quentin Johnson is uh, – um, I don't think he has any chance of being there either. I think he's going to be the top receiver off the board. And he is that that guy, kind of the T. Higgins mold, the, the big, strong, deep threat, not necessarily a burner. Uh, he would be that ideal succession plan um and i guess if he's there the questions would be why is he still there because there's there's probably gonna be a red flag somewhere that crap crops up um i don't know i i love the idea of michael Mayer because the hometown connection i think he's exactly what this offense could use with a a, a really good pass catching tight end um i i kind of have a feeling they're gonna bring back hurst if they don't bring back hurst um, that that complicates this. I guess I would need to know that to, to make this call. But, um, yeah, and not knowing the medicals on Leo Con it's a hard decision. I, I'm glad yeah. I'm not an NFL GM. I love Njigba because we, we talked about Chase and talked about Higgins. The, the other thing that's out there is Tyler Boy is getting old and his, getting older. Let's not say he's not old yet. He's still 28 very good receiver, but his con his, his salary cap hit is getting higher and higher and higher. And 
can you imagine putting in J- in J- Smith and Jigba in the slot with Higgins and Chase on the outside? It wouldn't matter who you had at tight end. Um, so I, this is tough, Tom. This is I really know tough. It is. Uh, I mean, I mean <laughs> this is the stuff that makes it fun. I mean, because if, you if, know, if Johnston's there, Johnston's the guy. And then if it's those other ones, I'm just, I just, I'm not sure about Dewan Jones yet at 28. I, I would probably go Smith and Jigba. I just, I, that is such an incredible allure to have those three receivers yeah. there and it makes it easier to to kind of make the call on on Higgins after this year um so yeah I, and even though I went to OU I, I do cheer for the Buckeyes as well so it would be fun to see uh, Jackson here it would uh, he's such an incredible player people forget that Rose Bowl he had uh, a year ago oh, yeah. which was just wow. I mean one of the best games all time in the history of football college football by a wide receiver. All right, uh, Jay, we can't thank you enough for uh, making the time for us here today. Sure. And uh, have a great rest of your day. Thank you again. All right. All right. Thanks, Tom. Good talking to All you. All right. You too. Jay Morrison, kind enough to join us today from The Athletic. Casey, your thoughts on that conversation? Yeah, um, I, if I was in that predicament, it was Mayor Jackson Smith and Jigba, Dewan Jones, and Quentin Johnson, right? Those are the four guys that you you proposed i think well it was, it was based off his article so you know he was just laying out there that on offense he didn't address a defense like he said until tomorrow so you know we didn't even go down that road about a defensive player in the draft right, right. but you know he was basically we were just looking at the, the 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 trio positions of tight end offensive line wide receiver yeah i think i mean my pick in the draft at 28 without knowing anything about free agency right now is Michael Mayer. If he drops down to 28, I, I'm i infatuated with the tight end position already. I grew up watching Gronkowski. His nickname is Baby Gronk, Little Gronk. So to me, that's that's the pick there. He wants to be here. This is his favorite team. Favorite player is Joe Burrow. It just makes a lot of sense. My next guy would be Dewan Jones. Um, just the potential there. I mean, the dude is 6'8" has a ridiculous wingspan, um, fits the profile of the Orlando Brown, not even just the Orlando Brown Jr. It fits the that profile, which is just amazing. But the thing about him is if he tests well, I don't think he's going to be there at 28. I really don't. Well, he's moving his... up quickly. He's moving. Right. You know, he, he was a project at Ohio State, and they did a phenomenal job with this guy. He was a starting right tackle this year. And was so good this year, he had another year of eligibility where he could have come back. He's going pro. Um, the other guy's a better player right now, the kid from Princeton in Paris Johnson Jr. But there's no chance he'll be around by the time the Bengals pick 28. Paul, if you had that choice, let me just say for the record, boys, if those three guys are on the board, there is no doubt in my mind who I'm taking. Who are you taking? And that's who Jay said. I'm taking Jackson Smith and Jigba. This guy is a phenomenal receiver. You put him in that group with T. Higgins and Jamar Chase, I'll go find uh, Humpty Dumpty to play tight end. (laughs) Just stay in the backfield and block somebody for Joe Burrow. Are you kidding me in Jigba? That cat is off the charts. But he, he was hurt all year, so there are a lot of questions about that. 
Paul? Yeah, that's that's the one thing that gave me pause when I was sitting there listening to that is you, you'd have to get some sort of assurance that he's healthy and there's no lingering issues. There's nothing there that's going to hold you back going forward. If there isn't and you feel like you can go and get him and, and have a sound pick there, yeah, it seems like the smart pick. Seems like the smart pick, but Tom, it's Ohio State guy. Well, that's all we're talking about. I'll go I mean, ahead. they got five guys that are projected. I just read the uh, uh, an article the other day. They have five guys they believe are going to be in the top 50 picks in the NFL, and they've had more players drafted over the last 11 years uh, than any school in the country. So, you know, I mean, they, they got a lot of good players come out of there. It is what it is. I mean, so does Alabama, so does LSU, so does whoever else. But it just so happens this year, you know, that um, – that, the Injigma thing is very interesting. The mayor thing, I hear you. I hear you. Um, the, only, the only thing, and, 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 and believe me, I am the biggest proponent of anything of doing something with this offensive line. But when I look at just those three guys, okay, if Smith and Jigba is drafted, he will play right away. And he will be a contributor right away. If Mayer's drafted there, Without a doubt, contributor, starter, day one, right? Right. The tackle, you know, I don't know if Dewan Jones, I don't know enough about it. We're just using him as an example. I don't know whoever that tackle is that's taken in the 28th pick. I don't know if that's the guy that's going to walk in the door and start. Yeah, I mean, one day when we have more time and we're, we're not – super deep into any off-season talk. Well, we will be doing an off-season episode at some point, but we should do if you are the GM of the Bengals and just go through every step, you know, draft, who you're bringing back, players you're going to get, acquire in free agency, and do a deeper discussion because really we have no idea. I mean, they could go defense for all we know. That's they could, right. They could get Hurst. They could go cut Collins and then go sign a guy like, Caleb McCary from the Falcons, the, a really good tackle, or they could trade away Jonah Williams. We don't know what the what that looks like at the current moment. And usually the Bengals do a really good job at coming up with a game plan for the offseason. Yes, they do. They went out last season, offensive line, took care of that so it wasn't as big of a need in the draft. But like Jay points out, you know, they were signing guys literally minutes after the free agent period hit. They knew they were going after the top of the line guys in Kappa, Karras, shortly thereafter Collins. They knew they had a lot of money to spend in that area. As Jay just pointed out, that's not what this offseason is going to look like. They're going to be looking at the second, third tier guys. That, you know, maybe some teams, they, they got a kind of question on this. And maybe the guy was coming off, you know, being nicked up last year. And, you know, or a team's down on somebody. Eli Apple comes to mind. He was the kind of guy they signed two years ago that fits that description, right? Do right. you trust this team drafting offensive linemen? Oof. I personally, no, not as of late. But there's certain prospects to me that I feel like are can't miss that I think any team would be smart. Like the Dewan Jones thing for me, that's a no-brainer. Like I wouldn't fault them. If he doesn't work out, I wouldn't fault them because of the profile that he brings to you. The now it all depends on the athleticism part. Like if he tests terribly, then maybe you have more hesitation. But the profile that he brings is just too too good to pass up on. But 
what's so great about this offseason, this NFL draft, is that there is four or five quarterbacks potentially in the first round, which always pushes down guys that shouldn't be pushed down. There's always going to be a team that takes a chance on a quarterback in the first round, and that's a good thing for the Bengals. Now, the other good thing, too, is that I'm just looking at this right now. There's five, six, seven, eight, nine guys that we're talking about in the first two rounds that I'd be happy with at offensive line. Um, but let me ask you this. Let me, in all seriousness, let me ask you this. Yeah. Okay. And both of you guys, Paul, please, please jump sure. in on this. Okay. When offensive linemen started dropping for this team after going 15 weeks in a row with the same starting five offensive linemen, three of them go down. Of the three guys that stepped in there to start, I have to tell you, I thought the guy who played the best of the three was Jackson Carmen. Now, we know his story, right? Yeah. Second round pick, Clemson, Blindside protector is a left tackle with Trevor Lawrence. Okay, had a great college career. Um, he comes in here, he's overweight, he's not in good shape. He gets a chance to play a new position in guard, doesn't go well. Okay, all of a sudden Jonah Williams is hurt. Jackson Carmen steps in against Buffalo. Jackson Carmen was not awful against Kansas City. He's already had two years now under his belt. I mean, are we... I'm not going to say throw in the towel. I think it's a stretch. I could be wrong. I think it's a stretch that if you draft whoever's there as an offensive lineman at 28, and we're assuming a tackle, they're not going to draft a guard at 28. If you're talking about a Dewan Jones-like guy who is a little bit of a project, still is. I mean, isn't Jackson Carmen? Are you more confident in Jackson Carmen right now than you would be a tackle at the 28th pick? Well, I think he's played. Yeah, I think the so the, the scenario that we're talking about here is that we're getting rid of the idea of Collins being ready by the start of the season. And I don't think he'll be ready. I also think that you're looking at a potential either position change for, for Jonah Williams or you find a trade partner. And then in that scenario, Jackson Carmen. I feel like, to, to me, I would take my chances on Jackson Carmen because I don't think there's much of a dip between Jonah Williams and Jackson Carmen. Um, and I think he proved enough in the two games, and I know he wasn't really tested a whole lot in the Kansas City game, but the the upside, it was never about... Here, here's the two issues between the two of those guys, is that Jackson Carmen was one of the best athletes in that draft. He was one of the more stronger um he tested well his issue was drive and mental the mental part and just the the small sample size that we had it looked like he was able to mesh well understood the concept the running yep. concept um able to adapt and he looked like he was in his natural position um so really it just comes down to the, the to, to me and like i said maybe we'll do a whole episode or a whole show on this one day is are you cutting Collins? You cut Collins, you save a little money. Do you get a guy in free agency? If not, you're not picking 28 at tackle, but if they don't do anything this 
offseason, like go and acquire someone or they don't cut anyone or they don't trade anyone, I could see them taking a chance on Dewan Jones because then they they feel like they've got guys around to take a project on. They didn't feel the need to go get someone to replace Collins. They didn't get someone to replace Williams. So in other words, you could live with Jones being the 28th pick, uh, playing Carmen, maybe kick him out to right tackle. Jonah's back at left tackle, and you get Dewan Jones some playing time this year. Give him a chance to come into camp and win a job. Right. Right. And, and if it doesn't work out, then, you know, a year to develop under Frank Pollock, all that kind of thing, and get better. Paul, you feel that way or no? Yeah. And the other thing, too, when you're just looking at how this line is shaking out, it's like you have all these decisions to make. What are you prioritizing? This goes back to what we don't know and we sit here and speculate we do the the sports talk radio stuff and day in and day out and we all sit here and talk about it but it all comes back to in my mind what the Bengals are going to try to prioritize here and remember back in the draft when we were all debating Sewell versus Chase and it was very clear that the Bengals prioritized going out there and getting their wide receivers now on the flip side of this the same point now that we've talked about all week with the Chiefs going out there and just building up their line and having the one target that they can nah, – no, they have more targets. But they, they they built around Travis Kelsey in a great offensive line, and it won them a Super Bowl. So do the Bengals try to mold that? Maybe maybe we see them go out there and, and do that here in free agency, or they go into the draft, they pick Jackson Smith and Jigba, and they just say – all right, we're going to air it out. Yeah. And we're just going to hope. Yeah. For the best. And then you just, you know, you figure out what you're going to do uh, protecting the quarterback. All right, yep. let's take a break. Uh, coming up at 11 o'clock, we got Bob, Bobby Nightingale Jr., his father, Bob Nightingale, Bobby Nightingale uh, from Cincinnati.com will join us. Believe it or not, we're going to talk a little baseball here today. And the uh, storylines to keep an eye on, as far as, you know, Bobby's point of view is concerned, he's out there in Arizona. He'll be joining us here in about uh, seven, eight minutes. And then Tracy Jones at 1130. Ham and Eggers. Ham and Eggers. On the alert. Take it away, Mr. President. Thank you, Tom. Where's the president? Oh, you want fly the it up there. I'll throw the president up Put there. Put it up. It's that type of the show, the Ham and Eggers. These guys are great. Trust me, I would know. I introduce all the best segments. All right, well, we've been talking a lot about uh, the Cincinnati Bengals here, and because we've been talking about the Bengals, it's time to talk about the uh, the Bengals report. And the Bengals, we, we talked about the Bearcats, too. Did all that today so far on the show. The Bengals and the Bearcats, both of those reports are brought to you by Encore Technologies. Encore Technologies provides IT solutions for a data-centered world with a suite of services from mobile computing to desktop to data center, supporting both centralized and work-from-home computing models to improve efficiency and productivity. Productivity. Visit Encore.tech to uh, visit Encore.tech. The path to innovation begins here. I'm not quite to doing that off the top of my head yet, but I think if you give me another week, I'll be there. (laughs) There is a new premium alkaline water out there, and it's right in front of me. If you're watching the show, if you're listening back on podcast form, then just picture it in your mind. It is Pawnee Water, P-A-H-H-N-I. Made in Hamilton, Ohio, Pawnee uses natural limestone filtration, unlike the artificial processing that many other brands use. The result is a healthy alkaline water that is also, quote, the best tasting water in the world. Visit their website at pawneywater.com. That is P-A-H-H-N-I water.com. P-A-H-H-N-I water.com. 
to see where you can buy this great tasting water. Drink Pawnee water, bet with Betfred, get your coffee from UDF, and get your tech solutions from Encore. Good stuff. Good stuff. Um, this is, uh, I'm going to say something for, for the, the audience here. If you're interested in Bengals offseason talk, join the Discord. I don't know if you. Uh, I can, I'll post the link in here right now. Yep. Um, discussions that we have a, a whole channel for Bengals talk. Um, if you want to do mock drafts and talk about uh, offseason football, tag me in it on Twitter. Cbox Casey. I'm all about looking through mock drafts, um, free agency, all that stuff. I'm always up for a good discussion on that. Um, yeah, I mean, one, I think one day we, we will take a whole day to, to do that. Um, Casey, let's get you some followers on Twitter. How many are we at right now? What are we at? Uh, not nearly enough because I follow a ton of different people. So my ratio is just the ratio is off. You're at 104. Can we get you to 200? Can we get C box Casey to 200 in the next few weeks? We probably can. Uh, How about, how about within two weeks? So that is start of conference tournament season, March 1st or 2nd around. All right. So at beginning of March, can we get to 200? Now, like I said, I'm all about talking Bengals. You want to let's get you tweeting, tag me in Casey. That? Yeah, let's get you tweeting. Yeah, get me get me in some of those discussions because I'm all about that. But the more important thing, yes, that we're going to discuss here is the Reds off season, and I'm excited to really start to dive deep into the spring training to get into the groove of baseball season because i just never really paid attention to it until today well casey you just got one follower joshua morgan hyping you up he got you he got you um real quick can i ask you a question yeah go ahead uh do you have and i'm being totally sincere about this i'm not being a wise guy yeah um because there might be some people out there uh that, that watch our show and and are in our chat or whatever the case may be that maybe you're in the same boat you're in right Right. On the baseball front. Okay. Uh, do you have some kind of a game plan uh, of what, uh, of how to start, you know, sort of getting into baseball? And I'm being very serious when I ask that question. Well, maybe I need to ask you to what the, the true, how to really truly get into it during the spring training. Cause there's not, it's not aired, right? None of the games are aired. Well, there's about five of them, seven of them, something like that. Yeah. And the, so, the start of the season two, Bali Sports will still air, or are they still trying to figure that out? Well, they're, right now, they're supposed to have the games on television as we sit here today. That literally, I'm told, could change in 10 minutes. Okay. Yeah. Well, my game plan is to try to watch at least two or three games a week from the Reds. Okay. Um, start to finish? You're going to sit there for three, three and a half, I don't five know. hours? I'm going to watch at least one game start to finish once a week. Um, that will help me kind of get an idea of, of the players and their strengths. But I think I'm going to have it on in the background while I'm doing other things just to kind of. But that's baseball. Yeah. That's how it works. That, that's, that's kind of what I've been picking up. What you guys have been putting down is that it's something that you watch in the background, check the box score later. Um, 
you know, you don't have to watch a, a whole lot to, to know. No, well, but like Paul Doherty pointed out yesterday in his column talking about, are you going to watch the Reds on TV? Are they even going to be on TV with this whole Valley sports thing? You know, now if you're doing other things and if you're going to have something in the background, it ought to be the radio. Yeah. Yeah. Because they're, they're you know, because of the media, and they, they, they're forced to, you know, give you more detail and you're able to do something else. You can cut the grass. Yeah. You cut the grass. You cut the grass. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh yeah, uh, you, that's you, you a grass cutter. I am, I am. Riding or didn't push? used to be, but I am now. Riding push or, or rush? Riding. What's that? Push. Oh yeah, I don't have some big, huge, you know. No zero turn. State, very small lot. Paul, you were getting ready to say before I uh, asked Casey that question. What was on your mind there? Yeah, I was just going to say that uh, Charlie Goldsmith from the Enquirer just tweeted out. Um, his tweet says. David Bell said the plan is for Tyler Stevenson to catch about 65 games this year. Four out of ten days with three games in that span at designated hitter and two at first base. They have every game planned out. Obviously, that can change due to injuries and circumstances. So that kind of feels like significant news for uh, for Stevenson to catch. That is uh, very significant news. 65 games. Yeah. Well, you know, look uh, – it's still to be determined, and I don't think he showed up yet unless I missed it yesterday. We'll ask Bobby about this in a minute. Normally, when pitchers and catchers report, uh, Tyler Stevenson is a perfect example. A guy who's coming back from injury, they are allowed to come in early uh, to, to do their rehab and continue their rehab at the team's facility, even though the regular position players uh, are not due to report until Monday. So Stevenson came in. He's a catcher, but he came in. Um, and, and you wonder if he's catching 60 games, is he really a catcher anymore? I mean, yeah. re really, is that what he is? Um, uh, they're certainly laying the groundwork for him being a first baseman a year from now when Votto's contract is up. But I was getting to Votto. Um, there has to be some uh, question as to if he's going to be ready to play, uh, not only in, in the regular season, but, but even starting in spring training. They're not going to rush him back. Um, but, yeah, now with the DH, this is the only thing that I see as a positive to the designated hitter, and we could argue that from now until the end of time, is that you're able to get guys in a lineup uh, like Stevenson, who I think we all agree, when he is healthy, he is a legitimate offensive force and would be in the middle of any lineup. Yeah. Guy can hit. Yeah, that, I'm shocked that that's what they're coming out and saying right now because, I mean – isn't the thought that he would have caught every day or close to it and 65 games. And that's not even, well, I guess it is just a little over a third of the season, but still 65. Well, that, that tells me that he's going to be, uh, Kurt Casale's going to play a ton. He's back. So he's going to be catching a ton. He's a very good handler of pitchers, outstanding defensive catcher, good guy, good leader. I like Casale quite a bit. Um, and, um, and so that tells you that Stevenson, they're going to spell Votto probably against certain left-handers or, you know, day game after a night game. Stevenson plays first base. Uh, and, but he is going to be – I mean, I bet money that that means if it's 65 behind a plate, there's no way he's going to play 60 at first. So, you know, he's going to be basically, for all intents and purposes, splitting between a DH – and catching. 
I do have a question because um, I'm not really familiar with the positional importances of, of baseball. Right. But I imagine having your catcher not always being the same, like if you're always in and out of the lineup at catcher, doesn't that kind of throw off your pitchers too, like the consistency there? Or is there no? I think that's a very astute observation by you, Mr. McAuliffe. Don't you, Paul? Absolutely. We're look at Casey. There we go, Casey. I mean, I, that's naturally that's what I thought, but I I don't know. Is that the case? Do you think that'll really matter? I know Stevenson is a pretty damn good catcher, but I know he was hurt a, a lot last year. So does it really matter? Look, they well, you know, look, they they brought back Casali, who is familiar with some of these guys. He was only gone for one year, right? Out to the Giants, Kurt Casali last year. Uh, I'd have to look. I think that's right. Yeah. So, you know, he 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 knows a little bit about, even though the staff is very young and Castillo is gone and all those kinds of things. He's a smart enough guy where he'll get that figured out. And Stevenson's been around all these guys in his uh, minor league career. And coming up to the big leagues. So he's familiar with these guys. They'll be okay. Seattle too, real quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, he he moved from from the Giants to Seattle. Yeah. 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 But he only played like 16, 17 games there or something. Right, right. And Casale's an outstanding defensive kid. He's just a good player. He's a good, solid player. And the Reds need Stevenson's bat in the lineup. So, you know, whatever the best place to do is. And look. I heard, I heard an interview with him yesterday, him being Stevenson. Um, and, you know, he, he got hit with a pitch, 100-mile-an-hour fastball, breaks his collar. Now, that's bad luck. But he's also had some concussion issues. Um, you know, he talked about, uh, you know, you, you really never know until you get in there and you take one of those foul balls that tip the bat and smokes a catcher right in the face. In the face mask, I know you have a, I know you have a face mask on, but... I always go back to Bob Brindley, my old broadcast partner, all-star catcher in the major leagues for 10 years with the Giants. And he used to say to me all the time, when you see a guy, a catcher, take a foul ball off that, you know, that tips a bat and then pow, right in the, right in the you know, face mask, he said that's like somebody walking up and punching you in the face. Mm-hmm. That doesn't sound too bueno. No, 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 it doesn't. Those are tough guys. So we're waiting on Bob Knight. Yeah, I, I would bet that says um, that says uh, he is tied up in this whole uh, press conference thing. Um, it, with, with David Bell, they get there very early in the morning. David changed that whole thing when he took over as manager. Where you know these guys have to be there at like six o'clock in the morning, and then have some. That's a bit of a stretch, but not far from being a stretch. And that's when the uh, beat writers meet with the Reds manager. And, you know, they go through their drill in his office there uh, and, and talk about every little thing known to man. Uh, and then, you know, the writers are there all day long. Um, go in the clubhouse. It's open for a little while. Then the guys go out and do their thing. Uh, and you're waiting around for a lot of them afterwards before you even sit down and start writing your stories. I tell you, you know, for those of you that are thinking about or wanting to become uh, a sports writer, um, great occupation, great job, no doubt about it, especially when you're covering, you know, professional sports or major collegiate sports. But boy, 
you know, Paul, I mean, those guys work their asses off. Oh, man, you have to grind. And you don't see the things that go on behind the scenes and the hours and the stories that you write that get cut, right? I mean, you're there, you're at every game, you're at every media session. You're There's so much that goes on behind the scenes is if you're at a – aspiring beat writer if you're an aspiring broadcaster whatever it might be i mean tom you you would know it better than anybody but it's just there's so, there's so many things that go on behind the scenes that i mean it grinds you and it does it's, it's the same way even if you look at like you know basketball whatever you're still a pra- you're a practice every day you're at, if you're the bengals guy you're a practice every day it doesn't matter and yeah the uh it, it is a grueling schedule especially in baseball where you're traveling so much these guys that now as as people have started to return to travel since COVID, because during COVID, a lot of these guys weren't traveling. Um, but now that COVID is behind us and and we're back on the road, yeah, yeah, you get those beat writers that are gone for half the year. Well, and what's really weird is is not that's the wrong word. The word on my mind, but. When for years and years and years, it used to be where the beat writers could fly on the team's charter plane from time to time. Uh, not all the time, but from time to time. And, and, and the best case, you know, uh, the best example of something like that is, you know, say the team is finishing a, you know, seven-day road trip. Uh, and the last game is a um, Sunday in Denver. So... After that game, the team and the broadcasters and the coaches and the trainers, etc., traveling party of the team, they get on the plane after the game and they fly home. Now, you're going to get home very, very late, but you're going to get home that night. And oftentimes you have a game the next night at home on a Monday night. Well, for the writers, they no longer fly on that plane. So you're not going to get out of Denver uh, on a Sunday night uh, by the time they write their story file the story, etc. So you're having to spend the night Sunday night, get on a plane probably at 6.30 in the morning on Monday morning, fly back to Cincinnati, land, and with a time difference, maybe you're on the ground at home for two, three hours max, and then you're right back in the ballpark by 2.30, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So their, their uh, whole travel schedule is so different than the traveling party is. So it's become even tougher and tougher for those guys uh, in in the way that when you're assigned to be a beat guy. Now, they get some time off, uh, and they deserve some time off, but that's the way that works. So I'm going to make sure here real quick uh, that I have not heard from Mr. Nightingale. Um, Let's see. Yeah, 9 o'clock Arizona time, unless he's got something uh, messed up. Uh, I'm going to shoot him a note real quick. Okay. Go from there and see what happens. Okay. We have Tracy Jones coming up in about 15 minutes, too. All right. Well, Well, here's a wise guy, Brian B. Tom, help me out. Where is Kyle Schwarber from? Mm, We should have a button for this. (laughs) <laughs> yes we should alright can we roll right now can we record just so we have it in the file oh yeah go yeah. ahead we can do that right now yep just give a few seconds you say when go ahead 
the pride of Middletown, Ohio. <laughs> so we'll file that away. File that away. Every time we talk about them, there we go. <laughs> we'll put that on the board, the audio board. Put it on the board. Huh. Purchasing GSS says, come on, Tom, do it. I just did it. Probably, probably a little behind the stream. Okay. Probably a little behind the stream. All right. These guys now are all going off in the chat about, uh, about mowing the lawn and whatever this zero turn thing is. You don't know what a zero turn mower is? Tom, you don't have a no, zero I turn? Have a, I, have, I have a regular push lawn oh, mower. Tom. Where, you know, I'll do it where you angle. You know, one time you cut it going this way. You know, like kind of outfield grass to try and make it look good, right? Then the next time you do it the other way, because they say it's very good for the way the grass grows. But, I mean, when I get to the end, I have to just do a U-turn and go back the other way. What is zero turn? <laughs> well, this deserves a teaching Tom moment, but a zero turn is a... a you, a riding lawnmower. Well, yeah, I said I'm on a push and, mower. So what the hell's wrong so, with, I mean. So you you have two control. I, I, now I know what it, you're talking and it, about. And it turns. So then there's no, you're not making that you. You're literally turning, not like exactly turning, but it, it's pretty much zero degrees where you're not like having. Yeah, you're right, Casey. Turn. We'll get you a zero turn. A zero-turn mower, Tom. Yeah. I don't need a zero-turn mower. I don't need a riding lawnmower. I don't have a big enough yard to cut. In, you know, now when I had somebody else cutting it, they would come in on a on a zero-turn, you know, rider. Yeah. But I mean, I enjoy walking and doing it and pushing it. And it's the only lawnmower I have, and I'm not going to buy a new one. Yeah, I I will have a push mower at my house, but my old house in Blanchester, it took three hours to wow. mow with a zero-turn. And we have a giant yard, giant lot. Well, it's got to be two, three acres or something probably, right? Yeah. 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 About. And it's because we live on a, a property that is also a business. So that kind of. It's your responsibility it, to yeah. cut it. It's a responsibility. Well, my mother loves to cut the grass. So we were always fortunate enough. Sometimes I would do it, but she said I did a horrible job. So she would. Take it back over. It's and... funny. My dad was always the same way. I don't know if he's listening to this or not, but he was always the same way. I would go out and cut the grass, and then all of a sudden it'd be two weeks later, and he'd say, no, I, I cut it today. And, well, you asked me to cut it. Well, I like cutting the grass. It gives me some exercise. So I think uh, I think our guy Bobby's coming in here in just a second. What are you asking me? Uh, you, you, you're, you're talking with Bobby. Today, yeah. Right? Yeah. Okay. Bobby's coming on. He just walked out of, as I suspected, he's just walking out of the, uh, the clubhouse. Out there in Goodyear, Arizona. Boy, when I was out there last week, every day was 72, 75, sunny. The day we're flying back on Monday, it was 50, rainy, cloudy, chilly. And Bob Nightingale looks like he, Bobby Nightingale looks like he's in the sunshine right now. Uh, although, Bobby, you got the hoodie on. Is it still a little chilly out there, bright and early out there in Arizona? Oh. Look at that. Uh, he's frozen up on us. Uh -oh. I think, yeah, right? you... Oh, it's freezing. It's been colder here than sea. Uh-oh. Uh -oh. This connection's not good. We're having a bad connection with Bobby. Why All don't right. you take him off and see yep. if we can't get him uh, straightened out with you over there? And um... Wait, 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 wait. We, we might have him here. There we go. Okay. <laughs> Bobby, do we have you a little better uh -oh. this time? Uh-oh. 
we did. No, no we lost no. him again. Yeah, we lost him again. Okay, because right. he's doing that on his phone, it looks like. Yeah. If you can hear us, just go to a a, a, a good spot. A good Okay, we'll see connection. if we can uh, get this um, straightened out with him, and hopefully we can. Um, he's moving around. I can see him off in the uh, moving and monitor. He looks like he's good right now, doesn't he? I know. That's, that's what I thought. Oh, and then he cuts out. And then he froze up again. Okay. Well, hopefully we'll be getting to him and we can uh, talk about, all right, he, I can see him again. I can see him walking. <laughs> Good commentary. Give us a little play-by-play -play action here. The way that works is his right foot, then the left foot. Then the right <laughs> foot, then the left foot. And you're grateful when those things work. You can never lose sight of such little things. You thank God every morning, right? You were on his wake-up list and that your, your body's working. You're able to walk. You're thankful yeah, for I that? I think that's better. All okay. right, let's try it. All now. right, Bobby, uh, well, hopefully we finally have you here. We appreciate your time uh, this morning. You were saying it's colder there than it is here in Cincinnati? Oh, yeah, it's freezing. I think it's uh, it was like 35 this morning, 40 yesterday. I think the hottest it's been is probably 50 so or 55 maybe. So it's not, it's not, it's not true spring training yet. It's, it's like winter spring training, winter training. All right, let me ask you now. The, the, the regular uh, pitcher, uh, the pitchers and catchers have reported they had their first workout yesterday. Position players come in on Monday. They'll work out Tuesday. For you and for Reds fans, uh, what are the two or three storylines that you're most focused in on right now with the very, very beginning of spring training? Well, I think the first one has to be the growth of the three starting pitchers they have, Hunter Green, Nick Lodolo, Graham Ashcraft, they're all entering their second seasons. They all had promising moments in their rookie years, not maybe like totality. It wasn't the greatest of seasons for each of them. Um, but like Hunter Green finished as dominant as anybody in September. Nick Lodolo seemed like he got better at each start. Um, Graham Ashcraft probably didn't show the upside that the other two showed, but had moments where he looked really good, uh, solid number three starter. So, I mean, if those guys take that forward, um, I, think, I think the rebuild looks a lot better Going into, going into 2024, if you can say confidently, okay, those, you know, Nick Lodolo and, and Hunter Green are frontline starters and Graham Ashcraft's firmly a, a, a mid-rotation guy. I think you feel really good about that. Um, so that's, I think that's the number one storyline. Number two is uh, Joey Votto, once he arrives, just kind of how he looks. Possibly his last season as a Red is the last guaranteed year of his contract. Um, so I think that's something that's got to be something that's watched all year. Um, and especially for a guy coming off major surgery like he is uh, with his shoulder, his rotator cuff and his bicep. I mean, th there's a lot of hitters who have shoulder surgeries and don't come back to the same hitter. So I'll be curious to see how he looks. And then three is just kind of what prospects emerge. I mean, if Ellie De La Cruz, everyone talks about him, um, but also some other guys. I mean, like Matt McClain and some pitchers, uh, Brandon Williamson, if those guys can come up to the big leagues and take steps forward. Um, I, 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 I know there's a lot of negativity after a 100 loss season and rightfully so but um a lot of young guys who could take steps forward and you'd feel better about it if they come into the picture and uh cement themselves as everyday players are you getting uh, any word we we just uh reported a second ago uh, I, i'm not quite sure where but 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 has david bell uh come out and said that that, that stevenson's only going to catch 60 something games this year is that right yeah that's been their goal um because they signed Kirk Casale and Luke Maley. Um, so they're going to have three catchers all year. But the goal is to make him almost like a 
he'll, he'll DH as much as he catches. He'll play some first base. Um, the goal is to, to play him 150 games, 140, 150 games throughout the year. And if you look at it, I mean, there's not a ton of catchers who play that much. I mean, Yadier Molina is an everyday guy, JT Romuto in Philly, but Salvador Perez in Kansas City. But other than that, I mean, most catchers only catch 80 games, 100 games maximum. Um, so it's, a, it's dialed back a little bit for him to keep him healthy. Um, and also, I mean, if you're his bats in the lineup, I mean, he's one of their best hitters they have. Votto, um, have you been led to believe, uh, have you spoken with him uh, on what his health status will be as far as, you know, will he start the regular season on time? Let's start with that. Yeah, they haven't said yet. I, the expectations he'll be delayed in camp. He hasn't, he hasn't arrived here yet. Uh, most position players won't be here until next week, but – um, I, I, I think he's probably a long shot for opening day, just based off the fact I, I've heard him say, you know, opening day would be great. Like he'd love to play on opening day, but health is health. Like if he needs an extra week or two, it, it doesn't really make sense to rush it, especially coming off the surgery that he did. Okay. All right. Well, Bobby, we appreciate you taking the time to join us. We may check in with you if you're able to from time to time on what's going on out there in Arizona. We love having you with us. So uh, thanks for walking around the whole complex there uh, so we can get you dialed in. Have a great rest of your day and stay warm. Yeah, hopefully it'll warm up. Thanks for having me. All right, man. Bobby Nightingale, kind enough to join us from out there. Bobby's on it, man. Yeah. I mean, that dude's on it. He is on it. You know, it's interesting. This Votto thing is going to be one that um, um, is going to be filled with a lot of emotion. Because, you know, we've gotten to know Joey Votto a little bit better as he's allowed us to get to know him a little bit better just here over the last couple of years. Uh, you know, a deeply uh, thoughtful guy. Um, and... You know, he's been here so long, going to when he first came up um, and, and had such a phenomenal career. But this is now the end of that 10-year, $250 million contract. It expires. Now, there's an option on that thing, uh, but there is zero chance. Uh, the Reds are going to pick up that option as it currently stands. Is there always a possibility that Joey says, hey, look, that contract's over. I'll sign a one-year deal for, you know, $8 million. I mean, is there a chance of that? There's a chance of that, I guess. Uh, there's also a chance that maybe he wants to go somewhere else and try and win. There's also a chance he just straight up retires, depending on his health. Now, he has said all along uh, that he would have walked away from this contract uh, and walked away from the money if he felt like he couldn't be the player that he used to be. So, you know, that's sort of now off the table because this is the final year and he's not quitting tomorrow. So um, I just think it's really going to be, um, it's going to be a melancholy year from that standpoint. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's interesting too, looking at, uh, this isn't Reds news, but just baseball news. Uh, the Nationals, Steven Strasburg got hurt again. I know he had thoracic outlet surgery, and uh, he has – I mean, he's been hurt for years. But he signs that 245 however many million dollar deal after the Nationals won the World Series, and he's only pitched in seven games since that. Seven games since a $245 million deal, and he's hurt again. I mean, well, I, know, I, know, I know a lot of – 
contracts in sports are retrospective contracts based on what guys have done and performed at, and he was a World Series MVP. But, man, what a what a tough deal. And it's, I guess, a little bad luck, too, that you, you just keep getting hurt. But Well, I mean, you man. know, I, I, I got to tell you, I've never been a fan of these super long-term deals for pitchers uh, because every one of them, and there will be an outlier or two, but by and large, every single one of those guys is going to miss a year. It's going to happen. Yeah. And, and then there's just bad luck for some guys, Strasburg case in point. The one that I just sat there and I said to myself, is there any sanity out there is the Jacob deGrom deal. There's another guy that was in the news yesterday. We're not two days into pitchers and catchers reporting. And he's got tightness in his left side. Now, this is a pitcher who, when he's healthy, and I don't care who you're talking about, when he's healthy, he is hands down, no doubt about it, the best pitcher on the planet. And I don't want to hear about Scherzer, and I don't want to hear about this guy and that guy. When Jacob deGrom is healthy, he is the best pitcher in the world, period. But you look at the last three seasons, he pitched in 12 games in the season of uh, COVID. He pitched in 15 games in a full year of 2021. He pitched in 11 games all of last year. So the last three seasons, that's 27 and 11, that's 38 games. In the old days, that's how many guys used to start that many games in a season. One season. He's pitched in 38 games the last three years and was given a five-year, $185 million contract by the Texas Rangers. And two days into camp, he's got to shut it down for at least a couple of days because of tightness in his left side. I hope and pray the guy can pitch. I don't root for anybody ever to be hurt. But um, Tracy Jones might have some thoughts on that. Tracy, uh, good morning. How are you today? Good morning, Tommy. How you doing? What do you got on your shirt there? What, what, what is that? Uh, Ron John. Ron John. Just getting ready for my trip to Santa Barbara. This is what I wear on the beach. Ron John. My Ron John shirt. I think it's brand new, but I took the tag off for the show. So I'm all right. I'm good to go. Is that a uh, is that is that a surfboard company, Ron John? It is. It is. Did I ever tell you I used to surf? No. Did you know that about me? Yeah, I used to hang tan, and I, I surfed in Manhattan Beach with my uh, Weber surfboard, and wake up at five o'clock in the morning and would go out there and surf. It was more like um, eye wash. You know, it looked good. You could tell the girls you surf, but I was right. a, a bad right. surfer. wasn't very coordinated. And the fact is, I'm not a very good swimmer. So that lasted about uh, two times, and then that was it. <laughs> yeah, it's a bad so, combination, being a surfer. It's a real a bad swimmer. combination. Hey, no, Tom, I got something. All right, okay, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I want to no, hear what I, you have just, to say first. Yeah, well, I, you're going to laugh at this, and this is very nerdy, and I apologize, but this is what I did last night. I looked like I didn't get much sleep because I was entertained last night. And Polly, I know you're thinking about that. And Casey, it wasn't that kind of stuff. But a buddy of mine, in fact, my best friend, sends me videos off YouTube of games that I played. 
And this isn't about me, I promise. It's not about me. But he would send me games that I played in. He sent me the other day a game 19, now listen to this, Tommy, 1987, June 7th. Okay, Astros, Reds. Nolan Ryan against the true creature, Ron Robinson. So I'm sitting there and I'm going, you know, do I really want to get into this? It's kind of late. He says, Trace, he says, you'll enjoy the game. I have to tell you, baseball is sinking and it's sinking fast. If I could show you and, and, and maybe email you that video, you talk about entertaining. You know, they talk about changing the rules, right? It isn't about changing the rules. It's about having good players promoting those players and sticking with those players. There was so much that happened in the game from the broadcasters. You had, this is TV, you had your dad, Johnny Bench, and Joe talking about our team. This is a team that had Buddy Bell, Chris Sabo, Barry Larkin, uh, Kurt Stilwell, Bo Diaz, uh, Cal Daniels, Dave Eric Parker, Davis, Dave, Dave Parker. Parker, myself, and it was just a team that was loaded. And I think about the team now that the Reds have, they've got nothing. But my point is this, the Astros have the same players and won the division that year with Caminetti, who was a rookie at the time, uh, Craig Reynolds at short, Billy Dorn at second, Glenn Davis at first, Alan Ashby was the catcher, uh, Hatcher was in center, Jose Cruz was left, and Kevin Bass in right field. Yep. Nolan Ryan's your starting pitcher. The reason I can rattle off this is because players stayed with the same team. And I thought that was so cool. And everything happened from, I took a hard cut against Nolan Ryan and he stared me down. And Johnny Bench catches it at the time. And so, you know, he's looking at me like, you can't do that to me. You can't take a hard cut at a pitch, you know, off a Hall of Famer to be. And it was just so much there. It was the game, and you'll remember this, it was the game that Terry Francona, maybe the greatest manager of all time and a super guy, fell down rounding third yes. and crawled yep. and was tagged out. And that game, we were going to be swept in a four-game series against the Astros. We pulled it out 9-1. to one. Uh, We had, I think, 17 hits. I had three hits, including a home run. But it's not about me. And the game lasted. Now, listen to this, boys. Listen to this. We had like 17 hits. We had a lot of hits. Five pitching change. Game lasted two hours and 24 minutes. Yeah, I mean, I, I, that's what I talk about, Tracy, all the time, is it wasn't that long ago. I mean, you, you could have fast-forwarded 10 years later to 1997, and virtually every game you saw, even a 9-7 to seven game, was going to be two hours and 31 minutes, two hours and 27 minutes, two hours, 26 minutes, whatever it might be. And that's where I think, uh, along with you pointing out about, you know, so many players moving and changing teams and all that kind of thing. Uh, but that's – answer me this, okay? Now, baseball is trying because of these new rules, pitch clock, et cetera. What did you notice then about just the pace of the play? Was the starting pitcher not walking around as much? Were batters staying in a batter's box? What What did you notice that kept the game moving, if anything? That's really a great question because Nolan Ryan was pitching. And you know how much I'm sitting there watching Nolan Ryan. He's taking a hell of a lot of time in between pitches. You know that's what Nolan used to do, right? 
I think it was the commercial time wasn't as long. I think that cut out a minute. I think that's that's a problem. I don't know what it was, but watching that game tells me, and this game is slipping away from us. You know, it's not like it's not like football. It's not even like that lousy woke basketball. I mean, it is baseball. And watching that game last night, there's nothing wrong with baseball back then. It was entertaining. It was like a damn soap opera, which was neat. 162 games, a lot of things happening. The broadcasters knew what was happening, would throw that in. Broadcasters, they, the, the, uh, your dad, and I'm going to address this with your dad, which I thought was uh, very unfair. Uh, I had the golden sombrero in the game be the night before. And so Johnny Bench and your dad are making fun of me because I struck out four times. Okay? That's the only Who time. Who was that against? Was that against Mike Scott or somebody you like that? It. You got it. I couldn't have hit him with, what did your dad say, with an ironing board. Right. <laughs> I mean, he's throwing the balls going every inch way. I would have struck out 10 times in that game. But your dad's making – and the fact is, I went out to cheat us the night before. That had something to do with it, I'm sure. But your dad's making fun of me. Uh, you know, Johnny Bench is making, they're breaking down what a golden sombrero is, you know, striking out four times. And I mean, it's just things like that. It made the game so entertaining. Hal Lanier, the manager, he got thrown out. There were a lot of hits in the game, a lot of action. My point in talking about this, we don't need to change the rules of baseball. We just need to kind of solidify the game and make sure that players stay. And it's never going to happen. But I wish players stayed with the same team because I just said the Astro team, that was that a great team? Not really. But if Mike Scott had got to pitch in that seventh game against the Mets, the, the Astros would have gone to the World Series and not the Mets. Well, I think Gary you, Carter okay, said but I want to follow up, though, one more thing about the, the, what you may have noticed because this is one thing I did not bring up. We're at a point now, largely because of analytics, where uh, there are, are far more strikeouts than there's ever been. There's far more walks than there has ever been. And that's because guys are out going up there and they're being very patient, very selective at the plate. Did you notice more guys swinging the bat early in the count in that game? I saw a lot more, again, a great point, a lot more contact. And no. Nolan, we beat Nolan, but Nolan got hurt, I think. He was out in the fourth or fifth thing. There was some type of muscle strain. But guys were putting balls in play. And, and the point of getting a golden sombrero was really embarrassing for me. But nowadays, that wouldn't be a big deal, would it, Tom? I mean, look no. at Aaron Judge. Aaron no Judge doubt. strikes out. Not that I'm trying to compare myself to Aaron Judge. But the point is, the strikeout is not a big deal. And, I, I, God, I wish you could watch it because I'm thinking, I'm going to spend three hours watching this game. Very entertaining. Very entertaining. The game is not even close to the same as it is now. And I look at it, and I'm thinking, what can you do to change it? Just keep the players in the same team. If there's any way they can do that, it makes it so nice because you can manage along. It's kind of like the Dodgers, right? I mean, you go back to Ron Say, Billy Russell, Davey Lopes, Steve Garvey, Steve Yeager, uh, Dusty Baker, Rick Monday, and Reggie Smith. And then you're thinking it comes the ninth inning. You're thinking, you know who's coming off the bench? Manny Moda. I mean, you can't name 10 players on the Reds right now, can you? No, I can't. Um, I, I can't. And, and I'm, I'm embarrassed to say that, but it's the truth. Um, 
You know, look, uh, you know, some, some in our chat are saying, well, you know, can't you have a guy for six years? Yes, technically you can have a guy from the time he reaches a big Great league. point. Six years Great until point. he reaches free agency. And, and I mean, look, Tracy, uh, you know, you are a guy, uh, every player, I think in their mind, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, but I've heard guys say this, guys that have stayed with one team and guys that have bounced around a little bit. They say, you know, once you get to the big leagues and you establish yourself as a big leaguer, you know, your ultimate goal is to stay with that same team for your entire career. Every player wants to be that guy that's known as just a fill in the blank, right? But once that doesn't happen, um, or maybe you feel like it's not going to happen, or for whatever reason you feel like you want to get out of there, um, you know, every, every player should have the right, and they fought for the right, and they, they, they've you know, gone on strike for the right, to have a free, uh, to become a free agent after six seasons and, and go where the, the the highest bidder is, right on the chat. That was a really good point because ownership and the ball club does have control for six years. But here's the here's the problem with that: when the player reaches arbitration, they're looking to get rid of that salary. Reds are a perfect example. So I would be perfectly happy. If the Reds could hold a team together for six years, I got no problem with that. It's when an organization gets rid of a player because they can't afford him in arbitration. But that that is a good point. You have control of the player for six years. Think about if the Reds could keep a team for six years. That wouldn't be that bad, but they don't. None of the small market teams do. Well, um, you know, San Diego would be the lone exception. I, I don't know if you saw or, you know, how familiar you are with this whole, and, 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 and we started talking about it on this show. You know, we, we kind of followed your league, trying to see things that, that, that everyone else can't see. <laughs> hard to right? do. Well, it, it's it's hard, very hard. hard to do, and every now and again, you know, we'll stumble into one of those to be more like Tracy Jones. But this whole televised thing and this Valley Sports thing, now you're a business guy, Okay. Could you, could you explain to me, because this is above my pay scale, okay? Uh, and good Lord willing, I never have to find out firsthand, although I'm drifting there, I think. When, when somebody files for bankruptcy, okay? And in this case, Valley Sports, you are basically released from all of your financial obligations that you otherwise have contractually uh, agreed to, and now somewhere you can't make the payment, right? How is it that a that a that a company is able to file for bankruptcy, and yet the company continue to, to do, do business? Yeah, how does that? Well, work? I mean, the do people, you know the people that lose lose money are the shareholders and the bondholders. The shareholders are the first to go, and then the bondholders. They just reorganize. And go at it. It's almost too big to fail for some of these companies. I mean, a t company like Tyco, you know, that, that went bankrupt. Uh, you know, Enron would be a, an example of they didn't make it back. But a lot of companies, iHeartRadio, filed bankruptcy, right, and came back. I, you know, it shouldn't be allowed. You know, we can't get out of our debts as a consumer. Well, you can, but there's, there's consequences of that. But they can file for bankruptcy and, and get out of paying debts, and it's just not fair. It really isn't. And reorganize. Some companies can, and some companies can't, and that's even above my pay scale. I don't know how they do it. Well, you but know, I, I'm just I, having I, a hard. Depends on what chapter they file. I mean, I'm having a hard time understanding what, what Rob Manfred said. He had his big press conference yesterday. I'm not going to call it a state of the game press conference, but this television issue is the single biggest issue 
in sports right now because Bally uh, Sports has the rights to, I think it's 15 or 16 Major League Baseball teams, uh, the same number of NBA teams, the same number of NHL teams. So it's affecting more than just baseball. Although my understanding is, is hockey and basketball have been much more proactive in sort of looking ahead to what might happen uh, and different streaming things that baseball has been against and, you know, blackouts and restrictions and all this kind of thing. What I'm ultimately getting is, Tracy, is, you know, Rob Manford can stand up there and say, well, we've got a backup plan in place, okay? Um, and, and being able to televise games in a local market. Could you imagine what would happen to baseball? Now, he says he has a plan. I don't know if he has a plan or not because he wouldn't get into specifics. But could you imagine all of a sudden if 15 Major League Baseball teams next week or in April or in June, all of a sudden their games are not on television? See, and that's not going to happen. Why too big to fail? You can't have 15 teams, half of Major League Baseball. People can't watch them on TV. That's not going to happen. Again, it's like the government defaulting, right? <laughs> that's <laughs> it, it, not going to happen. So something will get resolved, and maybe they do file for bankruptcy, reorganize, and continue with the product. But it doesn't seem right, does it? Because well, you it, makes me, it makes me wonder for something like that to happen, and we're really going deep in the weeds here on yes, this. Yes, yeah. Okay, but I'm saying um, it makes me wonder that, okay, too big to fail, that's fair. I get where you're going with that. But it makes me wonder... Um, if it doesn't cost baseball that antitrust exemption. And boy, if that goes away, you talk about opening a can of worms that nobody has any idea what that would be like. And that's a great point, Tom, because I would love that. Then we would get into a salary cap and something. And that's what I love about football. It's competitive, right? They're, they're paying, the, you know, they have the same cap. But that's not the way it is in baseball. I mean, going back to the whole having players there play for their entire career, maybe you do something like the football and, and put a franchise tag on a player or a couple of players, right? What would be wrong with that? I mean, football keeps their players around for a while, don't they? Yes. Well, yes, they do. They have the same kind of thing. Theirs is even less because of the nature of the game and you know being yeah. prone to injury. You basically have control over a player for five years. You can opt out at the end of four and not give him his fifth year and let him go walk. And so, of course, they don't have the guaranteed deals. Uh, at least almost ninety-nine percent of the contracts in football, like they do in baseball. So in football, you know, I could give a guy a three-year contract for twenty-seven million dollars, give him fifteen million in a signing bonus. Uh, and so he's due 12 over the next three years. End of one year, I can cut him and not pay him the last two years of that salary. Right. I, I don't, and I just learned this the other day. Even when a player gets hurt on the field, their contract isn't covered. Did, did I hear that right? Is that possible? That's a good <sighs> question. I thought I heard that. I mean, who, who what pitcher were you talking about? About Sendergaard? Uh, no, Jacob DeGrom. J Jacob DeGrom. I mean, his contract is guaranteed. Everything's yep. guaranteed. He, yep. They probably are looking at their Lloyds of London insurance policy under Chrome right now saying, well, how many games does he have to miss and do we collect on that? But baseball players, I mean, we sign a contract, it's guaranteed. Football players, the average player is only playing five years, right? And yeah, some of those contracts even that, are not I think guaranteed. it's more like three. Yeah. 
But what is surprising about football is the upfront money that these guys are getting. That never happened in the past. Yeah. So good Uh, for them, though. They deserve it. Let me ask you, we had Bobby Nightingale uh, Jr. on a little while ago, and we were uh, talking about some of the big storylines for the Reds this year. I want to save a little room at the end for you and the Ham and Eggers because we have a number of topics to get through. But I want to get through some serious baseball stuff with you here for a minute since you are, without a doubt, uh, a big-time baseball expert. I certainly Um, am. There's there's no doubt. Um, At least I (laughs) – You what? At least I think so. Okay. Well, we do too. That's why you're here. Go ahead. Um, Go ahead, Tommy. When – Oftentimes, we have expectations. And I always try to tell my kids, you know, don't get wrapped up in the expectations because inevitably, in in, in one area of those expectations or another, there's a good chance you're going to be let down. Let's focus on some other things than the expectations, okay? So, but there are expectations, clearly, for Hunter Green, Nick Lodolo, lesser extent, Graham Ashcraft. Okay. What would be, in your opinion, a successful year for two guys that are basically going to pitch their first full year, good Lord willing, without getting hurt? They both were in the big leagues all of last year, virtually all of last year, but they got hurt and they were backed off some innings from time to time. What, what, what would be a reasonable expectation for two very highly I, touted, talented young pitchers? I think with Green and Lodolo, I think maybe 13 wins, keeping your ERA under four, making every start, and just improving, getting your pitches down, being consistent, and just getting better. I mean, because they both have great stuff. Did you happen to see how many 100-mile-an-hour uh, pitches uh, Hunter Green threw last year? Yeah, yeah. He smoked. I mean, I'm looking, I'm going, you've got to be kidding me. He's so much – I mean, his stuff is so up here – that it's so impressive. And Lodolo's about as good a left hand, young left-hander as there is. But those guys are your one-two going forward. But they've got to keep pushing. And I'm going to say something to write this down because no one ever says this stuff. Stay healthy. I don't know if that's, that's very edgy right there, what I said. But very important for the pitcher. I mean, look at Strasburg. I mean, God, he can't, he can't stay healthy. Pretty yeah. good stuff. And he, you can pitch and you can play. In the major leagues, as long as you're 100%. But if you're a pitcher and your arm's 95%, that's not going to cut it because you really drop down. Those guys, both those guys have great arms. I really like both of them. Walk me through, Tracy, um, and, and let's put aside for a second the whole starting the clock arbitration thing and when you bring a player up and, you know, all that kind of thing. But – but from a mental standpoint, I've heard people say in the past, and it used to make me crazy, because the one thing you better do as a baseball organization, or any organization, but in this case, baseball, you better know your own personnel better than other teams know your personnel. And I'm not just talking about their talents and their strengths and weaknesses as a player. I'm talking about their heart. And I'm talking about in between the ears. And here's where I'm getting at ultimately. Yes. Are, when you're talking about bringing up a really, really young player, let's say De La Cruz. He's a big prospect and everybody thinks he's going to be a big star. But there's a real good chance if you bring him up this year, he's really going to struggle. Maybe he won't. I don't know. 
But from a mental standpoint, what are you looking for in a young player when you're thinking about bringing him up, even if it's maybe a little too early? I'm looking for a guy that doesn't get frustrated and is very consistent. That's that's what I like. I mean, just doesn't start, has a bad time, but just keeps going. I'll give you an example of a guy that never showed emotion and turned out to be a great player and could handle the big leagues and was called up rel- relatively early was Eric Davis. You know, Eric, I talk about getting the golden sombrero. Well, Eric did the same thing that came off Mike Scott. The only difference is I'm throwing things, cussing. You know, Eric, you'd have thought he went four for four. He just, he, and, and that just, that's a professional. That other guy is a bush leaguer. <laughs> but, but Eric could handle it. I saw Eric hit three home runs in Philadelphia. Same personality, the same attitude. And that's what a big leaguer does. He doesn't flip out. He doesn't get riled. You know, if they get you out a couple times, ah, oh, you were lucky. So just kind of handling it and and understanding that this is going to be a little bit tougher than AAA. I mean, you start making the jump between AAA and the big leagues, there's a huge difference. But I have no problem bringing these guys up to the big leagues because you see a lot of young players now. Take a look at the All-Star game and see how many guys are under 25 years old. Yeah. All the great players, it seems like, are under 25 years old. So if, if they're ready, and you should have scouts that say, this guy can hit or this guy can pitch. Let's bring him up and see what he can do. I think that's a great advantage. Maybe De La Cruz is a guy that they really push. Is he is he going to be a guy that's at shortstop or third base or center field, Tom? Uh, you know, it's a good question. I, I, they've drafted uh, so many shortstops uh, or, or made in trade so many shortstops. And, and normally those guys, yeah. you can go play them anywhere. And they're going to be forced to move a bunch of guys around. And so, you know, I guess we'll wait and see. Uh, how that plays out, but that's a that's a that's a great example um, in, in Eric Davis uh, because mentally, you know, I'd hear you know organizations, ah, you know, we don't know if the guy's going to be ruined if we bring him up now. And I look at that's him and I so say, stupid. you mean to tell me you don't know this guy well enough to know whether he would be ruined or not from a mental a toughness standpoint? Ruined. Yeah. So his his personality and his persona is so fragile that if he goes 0 for 15, he's going to be destroyed. Do you know how many, you're only successful and a Hall of Famer if, if you're successful 30% of the time. You're going to fail. It happens. But give me a player that's failed because you bring him up too early. Go ahead. I'll wait. <laughs> it just doesn't happen. That's, that, that's you know, that's the media. That's the, the goofy media that puts out stuff like that. that, that that's well, I don't know. I've heard a lot of baseball executives talk that nonsense, and, and it used to make me crazy. All right, look, we got, we got a few minutes here with the Ham and Eggers. Uh, Tracy, uh, say uh, good morning to Casey and Paul. Hi, boys. How you doing? Doing good, Tracy. How are you? Can I recommend a Netflix that I watched last night, if you Ooh. don't mind? Ooh. Absolutely. You ready? Do. We're always up for that. Here we go. Now, this was good because there's a lot to this. Because I thought of that J.O. Casey as I was watching it. <laughs> the show, it's a Netflix documentary, Fear City. And it talks about how the FBI took down the five families with the RICO, right? 
what they did as far as how they could take him down. You associated with the, the family member, you could take the whole squad down. Yeah, right, right. So it was right. very good. And Casey, I came up with this because I thought of, they ran a lot of things with the girls, uh, the unions, but I thought of you, you do degenerate gambler. The Gambino family, you know, if you don't pay your debts, Casey, they will break your legs. But at least they did back in the old days. So you better pay up. Because I heard you made a bad bet on Tennessee the other night. Oh, the other night? I mean, uh, right, no, actually, was... the bad bet on Tennessee was made uh, was made by Paul. Yeah, that was a bad bet he on Alabama. He picked the Crimson Tide of Alabama. But look, Casey, Casey, you know, uh, with his woke buddy LeBron James, uh, he bet uh, that LeBron would go 45, <laughs> the number, this is a bet you can make, Tracy, which I wasn't aware of. It's called PRA, yeah. right? Yep. Yeah. Oh, Points, rebounds, and assists combined oh, cool. for a certain number. Okay. So okay, LeBron's first line. game back was last night. Casey uh, was looking at 40 being that number combined points, rebounds, and assists. LeBron was nowhere near it. Uh, so a losing night for Casey and Paul. How much did you lose, boys? I actually won ten units last night, but there we go. I'm retired. I'm retired, Tracy. I'm taking a break. Yeah, see, you're smart. That guy over there has never lost a bet. I mean, we've been on for what five months now, six months. That guy's never lost. He bet women's basketball. He's winning. Bet in the NFL. He's winning. Baseball hasn't even started. He's winning. Come on, Casey. Let's get it together. Yeah, you're getting I, married. I, save that money. I need to save my money. Hey, so listen to this. Listen to this, boys. So I'm watching this movie, right? So my wife's on the couch, and she's got her computer out, and she's all about conspiracies, right? She's all about conspiracy. She's not really paying (laughs) too much attention. So we're sitting there, and she's saying, you know, JFK isn't dead. I says, he's not. You know, I didn't get that plane crash. He's living in California. I said, okay. Because, you know, Michael Jackson, you know, he didn't die either. He's still alive. She goes on, and, and so I'm just listening. I'm listening. And she says, you know, we didn't land on the moon. I said, we didn't. I says, okay. So I just say, yeah, well, tell me about it. And she just listened. She goes, you know, Joe Biden didn't get 81 million votes. And I thought, well, three out of four, right? <laughs> that right, one is. Right, right, right. But here's, here's my point, my long-winded point getting to this. You know, one of the crime fam- families was Lucchese, right? Yeah. The Lucchese crime family. So I'm sitting there, and you got to understand, my wife's got her head, figuring out all these conspiracies, and says to me, you know, Deanne, her twin sister, dated one of the Lucchese crime family members back a long time in the 80s. I go, what was that? I never knew that. I says, well, what happened? I'll tell you about it later. I mean, we've been together for 20 years. I didn't know her twin sister dated one of the Lucchese's in that family, in the mafia. It's kind of interesting. I wonder if that would be a good thing or a bad thing to marry into one of those families. I think it's a really bad thing because all those guys were pulling wool on the side. I mean, can you imagine they would have, can you imagine their ABC phones now with all the girls they were running prostitutes? No, no, no. (laughs) If you like to play second fiddle, you would not want to be married to a mafia guy. I don't. I don't think so. Would you, you think? What do you guys think? Yes? No? 
Uh, I wouldn't want to be associated with it. What about you, Paul? Ah, why not? Roll the ball out there. Seems kind of fun. <laughs> so, Paul, you, it, so Paul, are you saying if, if, if let's just use Lou Casey and he yeah. has a daughter, yeah. Okay. And you meet her while you're a co-ed at Xavier. Yeah. Because sure. a lot of the, a lot of the mafioso, they're Catholics, yeah. right? Jesuits, yep. whatever it might be. Yes. Right. Um, so she ends up at Xavier. <laughs> yeah. You meet her there. Mm -hmm. Okay. You get to start to getting to know her. Yeah. And now she says, Hey, why don't you come back with me for Thanksgiving? Yeah. And you go <laughs> rolling into Jersey, right? Yeah. Or rolling into New York City. It's a great right? visual. Or somewhere out there, and there's Paul. I mean, look at Paul with that haircut and yeah. everything. He comes yeah. rolling Irish into, into uh, you know, somewhere close to Atlantic City. And yeah. you go to this beautiful house, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, right and all of a sudden you start looking around. You think, ooh, you know, you kind of, you, you're, you're a perceptive guy. Yeah. And all of a sudden now you're getting closer with this young woman, and, and she starts to share with you a little bit about her family. And you find out they're in the uh, waste management business or they're in the whatever it might be. Fucking. Right? Right? Yeah. So well, are I'm you sure, still? And, and then dad kind of gives you a look. Polly, Polly, Polly. Nice to have you here. Right? Yeah. But yeah, my daughter's my princess. We're we on the same page. When you get back to Xavier in Cincinnati and that flight lands in, in, at CVG. Yeah. And you get back in the campus over there at Xavier University. You hanging around? Well, what about with her? What about me, Tom? Makes you think that I wouldn't be able to fit right in with that family. Well, I'll I mean, tell you why. I, I don't <laughs> think you have the guts to be in the mafia. And first of well, all, what you makes can't you say that? Made man well, I just I know your type. I, I just know you went to Xavier. Um, but but you can never be a main man because you're Irish. I know. Right? So that's yeah. one thing you could work with the family. Maybe you could be a hitman, Paul. What if they said, you know what? You got to kill that guy. You'd have to do it. Could you do it? Well, you got to fit in somehow. <laughs> <laughs> You're a hardcore man, Paul. This show has gone to complete nonsense now. <laughs> Not that it wasn't already, but here we are talking about Paulie visiting uh, Uncle Paulie, maybe somewhere in yeah. uh, Jersey. I mean, I'm Tom, did you date a girl? Could you date a girl that was in the mafia? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> what would you do? I mean, I, I mean, would I would, I would find a way to fit in, you know, um, and, and be almost like the advice guy, the consigliere, not not necessarily right. the interpreter. Robert Duvall. Ro Robert, Robert Duvall. Duvall. Now I, I could find my way into that sort of role, if you will. As long as I didn't have to learn about all the, 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 the bad stuff. I couldn't live with the really bad stuff. If they came yeah. to me and said, hey, we're thinking about doing this with our waste management business, or we're thinking about doing that, a guy like you could step right in there in that role. You could do that, right? Oh, absolutely. I actually do that with a lot of my clients. I have, like my clients tell me, I have great advice, but I don't take my own advice. If you know, you know I'm always telling people, don't worry so much about the money you know, just make sure your health and, and being happy. And I'm all about the money. Remember, I'm, I'm trying to get to F you money. That's my goal in life. How far away are you from We're, that? In closing, before we let you go, how far away are you and Danae from that? I can get there at 75. You know who's going to be, you know who's going to be a wealthy bastard is that Hunter Jones. He don't even know it anymore. He doesn't even, he's walking around with 
<laughs> walking around with ten dollars in his pocket and doesn't know what's oh. coming, right? And I've taught I don't know how you've dealt with your son. My son is the cheapest guy. He still has all his bonus. I don't even tell him how much. You know, I kind of throw him some bucks. But he asked me if he can borrow a hundred bucks. And he's got like six figures in the bank. He's so cheap. And I've taught him so well. Well, he's not on that gambling train like our friends. So, fellas, uh, you want to say goodbye to Mr. Jones? See you, Tracy. It was good seeing you. I tell you what, I, I don't want to build my, my kid up too much because the other night he went to the BA. So that mm. was a little disappointing for him. I had to, had to talk to him and say, you need to not go to that place anymore. That's not good for him. That's not good. He actually ordered the 29 dance with, uh, with mayonnaise, and that dance now comes with bacon. So if you're interested. <laughs> no, I'm not. Tom? But thank you, Tracy. Nice to see you. Have a good, good rest See you, boys. Have, Have a good, good day weekend. Day see you, you Tracy. Watch that show. I, I will. I will. I will definitely check out that yeah. show. We'll do that. Okay. All right. I got to get through Breaking Bad. Oh, yeah. Where, where are you no, at? No, I can't. Bad? You know, when you're married, and, and you guys will find out. And, you know, my wife works her tail off on stuff around the house. I don't mean, like, you know, cleaning stuff. I'm really good at helping on those kinds of things and laundry and stuff. But as far as just the, the, the business of the family in the house, yeah. you know, whether it's looking at bills or having to call somebody on the phone to, to argue a bill, whatever it might be. And, and, you know, she's great at that stuff. I have a hard time when she's back there busting her tail, and I know she is for hours at a time. Last night's a perfect example. I have a hard time uh, turning on back-to-back -back episodes of, of, of anything. Hitting that play next. Yes. Yeah. So I didn't watch last night. Huh. All right. We have a uh, cherry on top. Cherry on top presented by United Dairy Farmers. This one's near and dear to the city of Cincinnati. And we need you guys to have your lock of the night after that. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Presented by Bedford Sportsbook. This one presented by UDF. We'll play the commissioner's comments here. Hey, Rob. When you hear a team president in January say that his team already has zero shot at contending or even being a winning team. What is your reaction? And also, do you agree with him that a quarter of the teams to a third of the teams have zero shot before we have a pitch in spring training? Look, um, I think that most people who pay attention to our game uh, realize that um, we do have a disparity issue in the game, both on the revenue side and consequently on the ability to spend on players. Um, I, I think sometimes in markets that produces frustration that leads to what I regard to be unfortunate comments, um, not helpful. Those are comments made by Rob Manfred. That question was asked, it sounded like, by C. Trent Rosecrans, uh, and I'm sure referencing uh, the Reds. Yeah. And the comments made by um, President Phil Castellini, uh, look, look, you know, I mean, you just saw a perfect example of the difference between Rob Manfred and Roger Goodell. As that question's being answered, Manfred is, you know, one of these, like, he, you can tell he wants to explode, right? I mean, you can just see it, right? And then he catches himself, gathers himself. Okay. Goodell, you would have had no idea if it bothered him. 
if it made him happy, I have no clue. All right. Uh, tomorrow, Tim McGee going to join us, working on a few others. Want to get Tim McGee's thoughts on the Super Bowl and that sort of blueprint. You know, should the Bengals be rethinking what they're going to do this offseason? Tim's been watching this team for years and years and years. Was on a Super Bowl team back in 88. And he's watched them every step of the way ever since, including the last two years to the AFC Championship. Casey, thank you. Paulie, thank you. No problem, Tom. Absolutely. You have a good day, man. You want our locks of the day? Or? Oh, yes. Forgive me. Let's hear it. Locks of the day. You're 0 for 2. <laughs> <laughs> well, Go ahead, Casey. Uh, I've, got, I've actually got uh, two suggestions here. I'm going to give one prop, and then I'm going to actually give out a bet Fred boost. So I'm going to actually talk about the bet Fred boost first. Suns beat Clippers, and Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton both score 20 points is at plus was at plus 250 it is now at plus 300 that seems kind of doable um the current the current line has it at minus one so that's not that's not bad i think that's a good deal um but when does durant join that team i don't think it's tonight okay i don't think it's tonight but you better make sure of that right I, i i don't think it's tonight but i do think that both teams are evenly matched in terms of players on the court. Okay. Um, so I think that's a good game. And then my other one is the same game. Uh, Paul George over over two and a half on Bet Fred. It's uh, three or more, three or more three pointers made, and it's at minus one twenty five. I think on Bet Fred. I, I really like those odds too. Okay. Um, I think the game is going to be close, that Clippers versus the Suns game. Um, and I think it'll be a high-scoring game. So, I like the odds of the Suns winning. And I like Paul George to make three. And I like uh, DeAndre uh, – I'm sorry, uh, Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton to both score 20. Okay, so, there you go. Those are Paul? my two picks. Uh, I am taking – per- No. Oh. You're going to say Purdue, aren't you? Well, it's a UCLA under day, and I'm debating if I want to give that as the lock or if that's just like a customary, we do that every show. UCLA's under just consistently hits. So maybe I'll maybe I'll stick with the UCLA under. But Purdue minus one at home, I think that's a good bounce back spot for Purdue. I will say, though, uh, Maryland has only lost one game at home. So I don't know if I'm going to stay on that game as big as I originally thought last night after I did a little more digging into it. Um, but it is UCLA under day. So I don't even know what the UCLA under is. It was at around 130-something. But UCLA under. Okay. Mick and the boys. All right. Well, hey, look, we're just looking for a single win. So am I. From, that, from behind the desk over there. I can't remember the a last time win. I got one of those. <laughs> All right. Let's Are you go. coming up? Uh, Reed and I right now. Not too picky coming up right now. Thanks, all of you, for being with us. We'll look forward to seeing you tomorrow. Have a great Thursday. Thanks, Tom.